Calling all beans, y'all. Let's get it. Tonight, because we don't brought in one of the dudes who is blowing up in the community, a man who is a wanted, needed, and called for speaker at these events. I'm your host, DJ, tonight. This is Calling All Beings Light because the money man, Nathan, is on vacation. And uh, and lovely Leah, she's out doing, I don't know what kind of craziness out there in Idaho. Hopefully, she's chasing after Jeff Meldrum's findings. Uh, but... You know, before we go any further, let's talk about my homegirl from Baltimore, MD, a study of UAPs, the host of Deb's Data Dojo. Deb, what's up, homie? I'm just enjoying the squashing time. <laughs> I'm ready to do it. I am ready to do it, too, man. I love talking Bigfoot. What's up, OT time with Tiffany? What's up, homegirl? Julie in the chat. Hello, the Jewel of Indiana. How are you? You will always be Indiana's favorite daughter, uh, Alabama, notwithstanding. Uh, and let's bring in the man who's an original gangster here in Bigfoot. He's been doing this more than two decades. So give some love and respect to my brother, Matt Knapp, the host of Bigfoot Crossroads. What's up, homie? Man, oh man, guess what happened to me? What's I, up? I, I've been excited. I've been waiting to reveal this. I had a cryptid sighting on tuesday what yeah oh you're waiting <laughs> yeah okay he's yeah. been waiting to tell me this all I right we're gonna announce it on my own show i announced it on <laughs> calling all beans well uh, thank you Can... <laughs> hey man from but yeah. you know what L let's get with this man right here um i became a fan of his uh, show uh because i am a big time consumer of Bigfoot content. Everybody knows that even though the UAP world is blowing up there, we're never going to forget about our homie out in the woods trudging day to day, trudging all over this man's property <laughs> as well and leaving him stuff. So uh, this man, uh, former public servant, very proud former Atlanta police officer uh, who gave up uh, uh, the, the career that he was working in to go into this full time because People don't talk to him. Said, "You know what, boy? You damn good." That's what's up. So, uh, party people, put those hands together for my man Brian King Sharp. What's up? Can I get a man for B King Sharp? What's hey, up? Man. I don't even know how to how to deal with your openings, man. I watched you do that for Jeff Meltzer, and I think he was taken aback by his. <laughs> Welcome onto your show, as am I. So I'm glad to be here, everybody. Hell yeah, man! It's good to have you, man. It was an honor to 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 be invited on your show. We mostly talked UAPs, but we did get in some very quality uh, Bigfoot talk, and I think uh, we still have room to reattack on some of those issues uh, later on uh, because they're very complex, and there is more than one side to it. To it, and there are. You know, people on each side of the argument have have a good point. You know, frankly, uh, so so we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, uh, I'd love to B 
Be king. Love it. That's what's up. Yeah. So that's Tea Time with Tiffany. Julie's there. Randy Harrington. Welcome. Every I'm here to listen to Brian. I've never heard him before, and I'm scheduled to interview him with him on Monday. All right. Welcome, Randy. All right, brother. Uh, yeah, he's going to talk about what's going down on his property, and I am really hoping that more stuff has happened. And we'll, you know, we're going to see if we can even get Brian off the fence to say, yeah, there is something happening on <laughs> my property, and it's probably damn Bigfoot because he said, man, there's 40 acres, ain't nobody come around here. And see, so you know I'm listening, Brian. You know I'm listening, brother. Um. But you know what? Let me let me turn it over to uh, Money Matt Knapp to start this thing off. Um, go ahead, Money. Oh, I get the Money title tonight. Well, you know, I think you are Money. You know, uh, you're becoming Money when it comes to to to, to UAPs because you could. This dude. Let me tell you something, Brian. It doesn't matter what guest we have on. This guy can come up with an amazing question. I don't care. If it's a PhD in UAPs, who we have on, he brings up these really thought-provoking topics. He is like podcast gold. So, no, I realize money, Nathan, is money, Nathan, but you know what? There's a lot of money to go around. (laughs) Well, I like that. I I am a fan of money going around. (laughs) Reason the old palms, if you will. You see what I'm saying, Brian? (laughs) Go ahead, Matt. Uh, Yeah, man. Uh, I'm sure this is a question that you've asked yourself a million times i know i have everybody gets asked it in the bigfoot world i don't know your origin story so how does uh an atlanta police officer become a bigfoot podcaster that is a long long story well it really started back in i I was growing grown up born and raised in north georgia in the mountains so Bigfoot was one of those things that was talked about around that area. You know, for years I heard stories growing up and people were talking about having encounters with things what now I come to know to be Bigfoot. Back then they were hairy men and, you know, called different boogers and those kind of things in the woods of North Georgia. But having experiences of my own, you know, I had some sort of an experience when I was 12 that I believe might be attributable to possible Sasquatch activity. I don't know. I was bluff charged. I heard some noises and grunts and growls and really strange things in the woods. So, you know, I didn't see anything, so I can't say definitively what it was, but I, to this day, believe it was possibly a Sasquatch. I don't know, but just those things, uh, hearing the stories, being familiar with it, you know, kind of growing up with it in a way and then having my own experience. And, you know, it wasn't just Bigfoot for me. It was the other stuff. It was the Loch Ness monster and anything that had to do with cryptids. I was into it as a child. I don't know why. And I too lived in a house that we were talking a little bit before we went on the air, Matt, about your history and the house that you live in. Well, I grew up with a couple of houses that had activity in them. Not so great activity. In a lot of cases, it was pretty scary stuff. But having those experiences just drove me to want to dive into that stuff and learn more about it. And, you know, I kind of suppressed the Bigfoot thing. The the situation that happened to me in the woods, I didn't talk about it. I certainly didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my dad. I didn't tell anybody, you know, what had happened. I just sort of buried it. And then I've said it many times on my show and other shows as a guest. You know, when you're a cop, you don't talk about Bigfoot. You don't talk about UFOs. You know, I saw a UFO with my mom when I was 16. So I had that experience as well. You don't talk about that at work. You know, mm-hmm. you got to go in and prosecute cases. And, you know, I did a lot of DUI cases and I did DUI for a couple of years. So I was in court a lot prosecuting these drunk drivers. 
And after you win so many cases, I think I only lost one case and that was some BS. We won't get into that, but (laughs) these prosecutors get, you know, these, these defense attorneys get pissed off when you constantly beat them in court. So they dig, they try to find anything they can in your character, their personal, your personal life. They don't care what it is. And you know, if you're the guy at work talking about Bigfoot and aliens, you know, you do the math. You know, so I, I just didn't talk about it. You know, I was in law enforcement for about 16 years. And when I left that in 2016, I didn't have to worry about that anymore. So I was able to really pursue that. And I didn't really get into the podcast thing. I didn't even listen to podcasts, honestly, until I don't even remember who turned me on to podcasts. But somebody told me about, hey, check out these Bigfoot podcasts. So I started listening to Sasquatch Chronicles and I got hooked, you know, like most people do. It's all about the encounter stories those compelling people that are telling these really crazy things that happen to them in the woods across the country, you know, and I really got interested in that. And I thought, you know, I'd like to document some cases myself. I'd really like to talk to people in the Southeastern United States because there's still people out there that I talk to that still believe that Bigfoot is only in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) They don't believe they're anywhere else. And, you know, I knew that people were having experiences in the southern United States, the southeastern United States. So I wanted to document as many of those cases as I could. So that's kind of how the show was born is me reaching out to people in Facebook groups and trying to get people to share their stories. And I thought, well, what better way to do it and sort of become an archivist in a way, but put it on a podcast, record them telling their stories, put it out there for people to listen to. And it's there forever, right? If those people pass away, if they never tell their story again, at least they told it to me that one time and it'll be there in perpetuity for people to go back to and listen and compare notes on, right? Because somebody tells me they had an experience in North Carolina in 2001 that's very similar to a story that they hear that happened to somebody in California in 1972. Well, you compare those two and that's data, right? So that's kind of where it came from for me. And I started the show and the rest is history. Yeah, I I wanted to also say I understand where you're coming from. I was a aviator in the Air Force for a little more than half of my career in the Air Force was an aviator. And I did not talk about my UFO experience as a kid. In fact, I didn't talk about it until David Fravor talked about that Tic Tac incident. And and I started this podcast basically as a result of it. I, I was doing MMA for a decade and was like, I'm not going to be doing MMA anymore. I'm going to be doing UFOs. And now it's obviously like you, you know, doing touching on all three, but, um, I wouldn't talk about either. Cause you're going to be seen as a nutcase. You're going to have no credibility amongst your peers and people are not going to want to go on missions with you and stuff. Um, do, I, I'm curious though, Brian, when you interact, I I'm assuming that you have interacted uh, through your show and even on the telephone with law enforcement officers who have had sightings. And I'm curious what those interactions are like. How would you characterize those? Yeah, it's, it's very much like every cop who sees things. It, you, we typically are those, you, we got to see it to believe it. And then when you see it, you don't believe it because you spend the next 10 years trying to explain it with Occam's razor and it was something else <laughs> other than the obvious. I'm in therapy. Do, <laughs> yeah, I still do that to myself. Every single time I find some new weird thing on my property, I say, well, well, it could be, it could not be, uh, I don't know. I'll put it out there and see what people think. But it's very hard to get a cop to say anything definitive about a situation where they might have seen a Sasquatch or a ghost or, God forbid, a UFO, UAP, whatever. 
so it's it's very much like that you know they're most of the time when i have those conversations or have had those conversations it's very you know i still don't know i kind of scratched my head could it have been a bear and i don't know yeah. i'm not sure but i definitely saw something it was there you know that kind of thing so that's what they tell you it's very typical yeah. cop yeah. behavior you know once a cop always a cop it's kind of like military once military always military you just get that ingrained in your brain that you have to have proof, right? Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Carl Sagan, right? I mean, it's it's the same across the board, whether we're talking about UAPs, we're talking about alien abductions, we're talking about Bigfoot. I don't care what it is. You insert the cryptid, you insert the phenomenon. You have to, if you're going to make these kind of claims, cops especially want to show me the money. Where's the evidence, right? And unfortunately, you know, as well as I do, there's not a ton of that in this, especially mm. when you deal in anecdotal in encounters like I do. That's pretty much all my show is. It's either researchers that have had experiences or researchers that are out there trying to push the ball down the field or Joe Blow or Jane, whoever from wherever that's had an experience they can't explain with something that they believe to be Sasquatch. So. That was a long answer I, to a short question. Sorry. No, it's great. That that was that was a great answer, actually, Brian. And um, I think there are different. I think there are ver there's variability in all of it. Different claims require different levels of evidence, and who's making that claim, and what the situation was, and how they told it to you, especially for a professional like your, yourself. So I think there's variability in all of that because I think if we overquote Carl Sagan. Then and we apply that to every scenario out there. Like if I apply that to Matt's Bigfoot sighting, I'm gonna end up with nothing. I don't didn't I don't know that you saw anything, Matt. But it, there's a certain thing that you applied as law enforcement officer, and we apply as laypersons who who were never trained in this. That there are certain people I believe for my own reasons and my own assessment of how they tell a story, and as you've spoken about the level of detail, if it's exhaustive or. And uh, when I listen to Matt, I believe his story. I don't have to have been there. He doesn't have to have a photo of it to prove it to me. And there's other people that all of us on this panel have heard and we're like, I don't buy that person's story. I think that person wants to be on a show and that person wants to be recognized. Um, I, I want to turn it over to De I want to say one thing before I turn it over to Deb. I did mention this to you on the phone and maybe we'll even have you come in as a guest co-host, but we're going to host Dr. Keith Taylor, former NYPD career long NYPD uh, officer, SWAT team member who now teaches at John Jay College. And I don't have to tell you what John Jay College is. A lot of people, if they're not familiar with law enforcement and in and, and New York, they don't know that it's a prestigious university for for uh, law enforcement. Uh, he's a, a professor there now. And he what he's interested in, Brian, that I think you'll find interesting is he wants to set up a framework where law enforcement is trained. How do I deal with this if I get a call and it's Bigfoot? Whether I'm a forest ranger or I'm a, you know, an Atlanta police officer, you know, or it, it, not so much Atlanta, but like a North Georgia police officer, rural Carolina police officer, that those people should be trained on what to expect how to deal with a witness, all these kinds of same thing for you for UFOs. And even what if you get called to the house because someone says that, that they moved into a home and there's a paranormal entity that's attacking them. And that happened in Connecticut. I mean, that's happened in, 
in, in a number of different uh, 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 police agencies have had to deal with that stuff. So Dr. Taylor uh, wants, he thinks that should be a thing, that law enforcement officers shouldn't be sent out there without any training. Would How do you feel about that before I turn it over to Deb? I think when you first brought it to my attention, I think it's very interesting. I think I said to you, and I'll, I'll say that now, and, and obviously if I end up being on the show with him, I would say, you know, with training, police departments have budgets, and it is very difficult. I did training for years. I was a certified law enforcement instructor for 20 years, you know, and it's difficult to get them to spend money on anything. So my hope would be that if this gets off the ground and it is something that actually happens, the funding would be there for that because that would be a huge concern. But I think it's a great idea. I think anybody that can get any kind of training to get any in any situation as a law enforcement officer to do a better job for the person who called 911 or the person that's in need, I'm all for it. And real quick before you go, I want to sort of close out the, the fantastic claims and, and extraordinary evidence kind of thing. I think that's a very important point that you made, and it's a very good point. And by that, I mean, when I have someone on my show, and I say it all the time, I don't have anybody on the show that I don't believe, believes that they've had the experience that they're sharing on the show. When I say something like an extraordinary claim requires extraordinary evidence, I'm talking specifically like someone who's talking about a habituation, right? They've right. got these things on their property for 10 years and they're interacting and they're coming in and they're claiming that they're eating dinner with them at night. Yet there's no proof, right? There's That's no barbecue oh, sauce. There's no photographs. There's no yeah. recordings. There's no video. There's no nothing. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. But for that's, anecdotal experiences, like you said, it's very difficult to prove an anecdotal account with something that happens to you. Maybe it's three seconds. I totally get that. So I'm definitely not, I didn't want to throw the gauntlet down there as far as just stories and anecdotal encounters in general i'm talking extraordinary farther beyond the scope than just hey i saw this thing cross in front of me you know when i was driving by my prius you <laughs> you make it you make an excellent point i the reason i said that so my qualifier is because a lot of people quote that and and we hear it um deb can tell you all over the UA, uap community we hear that and like, and even applied to people like David Grush. And it's like, I got news for you guys. You're not going to get, they're not going to, you're not going to get proof. Okay. And if they let, they're not going to show you documentation because you're going to go, that could be faked. If they showed you a photo, you would say that could be doctored. If they showed you a full motion video of them walking around a craft. So, and you're, and it's top secret classified and you're, you're not going to get that. What you, the most you're going to get is government officials saying, yes, what this guy says to be true or like what Marco Rubio said. When you watch that video, he's going to say, I have news for you people. David Grush is not the only one that's come to us with this information. We've had other people with the very high clearances come to us that are very concerned. So uh, for those people who said it's only Grush, you were wrong. So <laughs> that's what Marco Rubio went to say uh, on, on that show. He's not the only one, and it's just going to take time before – People make sure that people don't burn Grush's house down, uh, literally, because they've already been through his house, by the way. Um, then they'll, I think they'll come forward in these hearings that Tim Burchett of Tennessee is setting up. Uh, let's go to Debs before I babble on any further. Yeah, I just feel like it's a synchronicity to be talking about the police issue because this is actually something that I've talked to like four people about in the last week. 
<laughs> so it's an uncanny thing for it to be coming up right now. Um, but I wanted to broach one of the um, people that I spoke to. Unfortunately, I don't remember the organization's name, but Roswell um, Daily Record did a report about it that the police um, are now anonymously reporting about UAP encounters to some former law enforcement officers. And I was wondering if you would find it compelling to have something similar that if, if there's anonymity, that it might be more effective for letting you know, rangers and police officers and other people who are engaging with Bigfoot to come out and express what's happening to them. I think that's great. I think any time that you can do that under the cloak of anonymity, I think it's a great thing for people in law enforcement because there is a lot of stigma attached to coming forward with some crazy claims about whether it's UAPs, whether it's alien abductions or Bigfoot, whatever the case may be. So I would be all for that. I think there's obviously issues and anytime something comes up anonymous, right? I had that recently. Well, not so recently. It kind of runs together after 300 plus shows, but I had a guy on the show who was sharing something with me and we ended up talking about something else. And then this other person's name come up and he put me in contact with this guy who was allegedly, allegedly part of this training exercise out in Fort Lewis. I think it was back in the nineties where there was a, allegedly there was a Bigfoot that was shot and killed during these maneuvers. And he wanted to talk about it. And the interesting thing about it is I talked to two, two different people on both sides of the incident because mm -hmm. there were other maneuvers going there. And there was another guy who actually got closer to the action and actually got to uh, allegedly see the body of this dying Sasquatch. So I got to talk to this guy, but he wanted to remain anonymous. He, he didn't want his voice to be out there you know, just in the off chance that somebody might listen to the show and actually hear his voice and recognize it. So I had to change his voice and I caught crap for just doing that because, you know, I wanted the story. I wanted to get it out there in the zeitgeist and I wanted it to be a part of the record, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't tell it any other way. So I changed his voice in the, the program that I have and he told his story, but people gave me crap just because, oh, well, you know, if, if this guy's really telling the truth, you know, he'll use his own voice and let us see his face. Mm -hmm. and that's not exactly no. how it how it works, right? If you got something to lose, if you're putting skin in the game and there's something to lose, that's why we don't hear a lot of the stories that are still out there. There's a lot of evidence, I believe, out there. There's a lot of videos. There's a lot of still photographs. There's tons of stuff that we will never see, in my opinion. I could be wrong. But in my opinion, I, well, I know for a fact there's a, some stuff out there. And people just don't want to come forward and deal with it, much like you said, DJ. I'm not going to show you this picture because you're just going to ridicule me. You're just going to tell me how fake it is, and you're just going to tell me that I'm wrong and whatever the case may be, a hoaxer. So people don't do it. But I think anonymity has its place in cryptids and Bigfoot and UAP stuff all, all across the board. I want I want to I want to bolster uh, I want to one up uh, and one love your point right there Brian because I heard those episodes and I've worked with Op Four and I spent half my career also working with Special Operations guy guys and that gentleman you had uh, sounded to me the the lingo that he was using and the way he spoke sounded like a legitimate Special Forces operator to me having done I don't know how many you know, deployments and interactions with these guys. I didn't live with them in their same bunkhouse and all that, but I know their lingo. The Op 4 guy was the guy that uh, the officer slapped in the face uh, 
uh, when he got up there and he got to see the the dying uh, Sasquatch and one I believe the team lead for the gentleman that you had was an officer type and when this the op four guy then they ran down the hill into their compound and said what what's going on you know we heard gunfire and he saw it and he slapped him and said you know you know look away and and then had them picked up he basically for all intents and purposes he had those guys apprehended and brought back to c2 to command and control and then they they debriefed them and and scared the the uh, living bejesus out of them uh not to say anything but yeah that sound when that guy came out that shifted the whole paradigm of the guy who was on with i guess he west had the guy from op4 and that that they told the exact same story except the guy that you had did not want to be particularly affirmative about what he saw, but he talked around it and indicated he didn't want to say, I saw a Sasquatch, but he said, I saw something, you know, on two feet. We don't know what it was kind of thing. That kind of spiel. Very legitimate. And that changed, that shifted the whole paradigm. That's why I say, you know, like you can tell when somebody's like spinning a yarn and that Op 4 guy was not. Um, Matt, please go ahead, my friend. I just Matt? wanted to add a, a, a okay. note that it's kind of interesting. Uh, Matt Whitten, uh, a police officer, was involved in the biggest Bigfoot hoax in history, the Georgia hoax, while he was currently a police officer, put his name on the line, put his career on the line. Ultimately, he got fired for it, but... For two years or so, he didn't get fired for it. He didn't get any trouble for it. He only got in trouble whenever they sold the alleged Bigfoot body for $50,000 and tried to run to Mexico with the money. They they frowned upon that. But uh, so somebody being in law enforcement, and I mean no disrespect to anybody by saying this, but somebody being involved in law enforcement or the military doesn't necessarily mean they're being honest about their story or their claim. True. So, so how do you work around that? And not just with those type guests, but just guests in general. Uh, you know, how, how do you work around the people who come on the show? And then once they're on there, have you ever had a situation where you're like, you know what? I, I'm not sure I believe this person. Or do you just leave your own personal opinion and judgment out of the picture entirely well i'll i'll address the cop thing first and you're absolutely right i tell you the two years that it took i don't, I, I know the what you're talking about i know the case i don't know the particulars of i don't remember what department it was and i don't obviously i don't know what kind of investigation they did internally but i'm gonna tell you people don't realize this it's very difficult to get fired as a cop in most cases i'll, I'll speak for the the places that i've worked in the past but I'll tell you the one thing at Atlanta police that will got will still to this day get you fired quicker and faster than anything, no, no questions asked, is honesty, integrity. The second you lie about anything, you're gone because your integrity as a police officer, you can no longer ever testify in any court case, ever, if you've been proven to have been telling a lie about whatever even a mundane situation that happens. And I saw cops get fired for it a couple of times while I was there. And so it's a very serious thing. So that's probably what ultimately got him fired. I don't know what the reason that the department gave, but it was probably an integrity issue because he had told lies. So 
But it's the same thing with everybody. Every single guest that comes on the show, you have that issue when you do a show like mine. It's very difficult to vet anybody. We have vetting questions that we put them through. Danny sends out vetting questions and we have them answer them. If there are any red flags that come up, we, we go a little bit deeper. But it's a catch-22 for me because I've said this on other shows. It's not some big mystery. But part of the secret sauce for me, and I know other shows don't necessarily do it this way, I try not to get into people's encounters before I talk to them. I don't want to know, you know, I, I want to know if you saw something, if you saw something, if you think it was a Sasquatch, that's about as far as I take it, honestly, because I like to hear the story for the first time when I'm actually interviewing the first, the person for the first time. It's just a thing for me. I like to have that initial, it keeps me fresh in my mind. I don't make any preconceived ideas about their story. I don't go into it biased one way or the other, believing it or not believing it. And you're right. It's, there have been times, Matt, a couple of times in you know, the last two years or so that I've had people that afterwards I kind of scratch my head and go, ah, you know, I just, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure it happened exactly the way they said. I'm not sure that it happened in that way, whatever. So yes, I've had my doubts and there's been a couple, I think maybe two interviews that I've done out of the entire entirety of the interviews I've done that have made it on the air and have it. Only two didn't make it on the air that I can recall right off the top of my head. Well, three now because of that. And two, the first two, I think there was some mental illness, possibly the third one, there might've been some mental illness going, going on there. You know, there's one that I'm still teetering about putting out there because <laughs> I've talked about it a couple of times on my show. This guy came on and, and told a fairly straightforward, I joke and say it was sort of a mundane Bigfoot encounter, right? If as mundane and straightforward as seeing a, you know, thousand pound, eight foot bipedal ape that's not supposed to exist in the woods. And then it took a turn and went into this weird encounter where this guy claims to have had sex with a female Sasquatch during <laughs> And, but I'm telling you now, let's, let's go back to, you know, if anybody, if you guys listen to the show, I just put out a show. I don't know if it was within the last week or so where I kind of broke down the, the Patterson Gimlin film and the, the PG interview of Patterson and Gimlin six days after they filmed the PG film mm -hmm. back in 67, yep. Todd Prescott gave me permission to use that. And I put some of that audio into this episode because it's fresh. I mean, we're talking six days after they had this experience and, and recorded this, you know, famous video. And then I compared it to an interview that happened with Bob in 2019. And I sort of go through the inconsistencies and the body language and sort of break that stuff down, you know, and I was doing that with this guy that was telling me he had sex with a female Sasquatch. And <laughs> I I'll be honest with you. And, you know, Deb can probably speak to this as a, you know, a mental health professional, you kind of know when somebody's BSing you or not, and you kind of know when they're they're really serious about believing, believing it, yeah. whether it happened physically or not. He believed it in his mind that the, he had this experience. I can tell that, you know. But I've 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 not put out the interview. I don't know how people would take it listening to my show because that that would be hands yeah. down the weirdest thing that anybody's ever heard on my show. And there's been some pretty weird stuff. So. Hey, you know, hey, Brian, though, this is interesting because we were talking about a Sasquatch dating service, you know, like maybe you have the ones come in off your property, you do a profile photo, 
You put them out there. Maybe the angry Sasquatch and some of the attacks and them, you know, someone salmon fishing. And next thing you know, they're getting rocks from them. Maybe they calm down if they get a little more action in their life. Maybe it's just a matter of, you know, this, this Sasquatch that's been kicked out of the group because the alpha says you're too big. We just need to help that guy find a mate. Maybe. I don't know. Good you know, idea. Maybe these ones on your property you could help out. I don't know. I so, feel awkward now because I was going to say I would have Sasquatch over for dinner, but now it has a whole new connotation. <laughs> no, I mean, Brian's heard it all. I mean, the, the one that comes to mind, and we weren't able to get him. Actually, I actually have two things I want to address. I want to address law enforcement, military, and I also want to address the coming over for dinner. Vic, uh, we had Vic Cundiff on from, uh, help me out with this show, My Bigfoot Story, and what's the name of his Dog show? Dogman Encounters Radio. Yeah, and he has a but he has another Bigfoot show, and it his it's not coming to my mind. But Vic yeah, my is, Bigfoot sighting, my Bigfoot, yeah, it's you know, another great host, just like Brian and Wes and all these guys, and um, that guy Matt now. Anyway, um, he has this woman Robin from Montana that has like daily interaction. Um, the only show that she'll go on, and she's been on four or five times, is with Vic. I don't know if he's shared the she shared the photos that she says she has with Vic but that is the kind of thing you're talking about like you said she says they come up to the backyard they come and slap on the house every day she's seen uh the little ones you know the the females the males and they just that it's a daily thing and that they she feels a a kin her and her her daughter because she lives on the property she's a single mom with the daughter there and she feels safer that they're around uh, but yeah, like for something like that, I mean, uh, people would want to see that. Yeah, the, I mean, we should be able to get a crystal clear photo if they're coming to your house during the daytime. So I get it. Um, check those out, too. Uh, you might find those in, those episodes with Robin from Montana. Interesting too, Brian, if uh, you peruse uh, Vic's podcast about law enforcement and military, I would say this, Matt, Um there are, I mean, we just saw Jack Teixeira get arrested. We have seen uh, lot, uh, military people be arrested and thrown in jail and uh, people that have turned uh, evidence over to foreign governments. We've seen, I just, am, I'm listening to The Set, this uh, a podcast called The Set, which talks about corruption in my home state and NYPD that you would not believe the amount of corruption. I'm sure you've heard of it, Brian's, you know, stealing from drug dealers, selling the drugs and stealing the money and being payoffs. And it was just the Mullen commission, but what they're talking about, the preponderance of the evidence, if we were to use that, like you would use in a civil trial, not beyond a reasonable doubt, but the preponderance, the preponderance of the evidence suggests that, uh, for credible witnesses, generally speaking, uh, the imperfect military, uh, folks that I come out of their group, and the law enforcement that Brian comes out of, most of them are better witnesses than your average layperson. That doesn't mean every time, and that doesn't mean all of, everybody's honest because they're not. Uh, we both know people that aren't. I know people that I've served with that I wouldn't trust. I know people I've served with that have done both jobs, uh, military and law enforcement, that I would not trust. Um, so uh, that, but but be, you know, normally speaking them seeing something they're a little bit better witnessed than the average person uh let me go to deb's 
Yeah, I think I'm with the camp that's waiting for more information on the DNA personally. And I know that that's something that's kind of in a sense of excitement is happening with that right now. I also to, um, spoke to the paranormal rangers a little bit about that while in Roswell. And they said that they had handed over some samples that had been assessed and that the indication was that it was a carnivore that the DNA was some unknown carnivore. Anyway, I was just wondering if anyone uh, here could elaborate. Brian, do you know more about what's going on with the DNA right now? The NC State project, I think. Yeah, that that just came on my radar. I'm actually going to be at the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference coming up, and I know Matt Moneymaker put some stuff out about having Darby Orca there. And, you know, I have some opinions on that. I'm going to sort of keep that to myself I'll, I'll just talk generally in my opinion about dna and here's the problem i have with it and i've had this conversation with doug Highcheck. you know he's working on legend meet science too you know doug's actually we're, we're going to do an episode on saturday we're promoting a the idaho squatch con that i'm speaking at and we're doing some special stuff hopefully we can talk a little bit about that before we get out of here but back to the dna sure the issue that I have with the DNA outside of she who shall not be named, I've talked about it on my show. You know, some of the DUI, some of the, I almost said some of the DUI, some of the, well, there might be some DUI involved. I don't know. But some of the DNA studies and things that have went on in the past, you know, I have my opinions about that. I'm not really impressed with it. But here's the problem that I have with DNA just in general when it comes to cryptids. If you have an unknown sample of DNA and you test it and it comes out that it is a carnivore or it is a, you know, an unknown ape. Is it part human? Yeah. You, know, you, you end up coming up with a lot of unknowns. And as long as you, if you don't have a type specimen to draw a control the, sample, it, yes, yeah. mm -hmm. there's nowhere to go with that. In my opinion, it just leads to more questions. So, you know, there is some exciting stuff. I think that I'm all for some DNA testing. I know Doug and those guys are going to do a lot of DNA testing in Legend Meet Science too. I'm glad for that, but I don't know that it's going to be conclusive and really answer any questions and push the ball down the field because we do not have a control sample to test it against. There is no Sasquatch that we know of in custody or there may be bodies in the bottom of the Smithsonian, as some people claim. I don't know. But we don't, it's not a recognized species. So if it's not a recognized species and you don't have DNA to test DNA samples against, then you're just going to come up with more, more questions than answers, in my opinion. So I don't know. I think DNA is interesting, but I, I just don't know where it goes, honestly, without a type specimen to compare it to. Hey, I want to I want to throw something in. We're going to get Matt in on this, and then we're going to ask Joe's question from the chat. But if if they are able to get a good sample where the the person uh, there's that woman in Texas and the way that she was handled, you know, she has a, a very you know she went and was trained on how to gather samples. If 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 you have a good sample and you're able to actually compare it to GenBank, what? I know who you're talking about, what she claims, but in this study, if they're able to say, okay, well, we we have compared it with all known samples, and it's not anything that's known in North America, while that's not necessarily 100% proof, because like you said, we don't have a control sample to, to compare it against, but it, it could be a good indicator if it has markers that are, again, very close to us and, and something that's unknown. I mean, that could... 
that could be pretty good. Uh, if if it's just that, uh, you know, are the people going to trust who collected it? Um, what's uh, I think there's a, a word that you guys use that you're protecting that sample, uh, the integrity of chain the of sample custody. from chain of custody. Thank you all the way through to the lab. And if that happens, you know, we're in a pretty good shape. But but Matt, please, I, I'm sure you like to chime in on this, sir. I actually interviewed Darby on Sunday. Oh, and he addressed this very topic. I asked him, matter of fact, directly about it. Uh, I don't know how much I want to say since I'm releasing the episode tomorrow morning. Uh, <laughs> okay. you can but I asked him about the type <laughs> specimen situation and he told me I was wrong and explained it all out about how you don't need a type specimen and that it will still produce results even if it's something that's not in GenBank. So we'll Man, see. I, we'll see. It's only going to be as good as the samples, obviously. And right you don't have to get you don't have to give away the baby with the bathwater here, Matt. But let me just ask you this, because this is something else that's come up recently in some private conversations between me and other people. Mm-hmm. How are they addressing? Because here's the other thing that I have a problem with with DNA. If and I've had this conversation with Doug about it, you know, and some of the things that they're doing. If I go and I have what I believe, I'm a Bigfoot researcher. I've collected what I believe to be Bigfoot DNA right? I've got the sample. I'm going to a lab and saying, Hey, I want you to test this because I believe I have Bigfoot DNA. And here's a check for $25,000 to run the test. I would hope like most professionals that they're going to come back with whatever the sample is. The question that has come up for me and other people have asked me this question and I've asked it of other people that are involved in the DNA. Is that the proper way to do it or should you do blind testing in multiple yes. labs right is that a better way to go about it that's at least what i would think if i'm in the business of trying to prove that this is dna of whatever i'm not going to tell anybody what i think i have i'm going to walk in and i'm going to say here's a sample i'd like you to test let me know what you got i'm going to go to another area with another sample and say here's another lab i want you to test this tell me what you got i'm probably going to do that at least twice minimum of two separate independent labs that have no idea what they have in order to maintain the integrity of what's integrity. going on and that's when and that's one of the things that come up and people started reaching out to me sort of privately and asking me questions when this came up with Matt moneymaker because it appeared to me and i have not talked to darby orcut so you have, and obviously we we might want to just tune into Bigfoot Crossroads tomorrow when it drops and we'll get all these answers. <laughs> However, is that how they're approaching it? If it's just one person, it's just one team, and it's just one lab that's handling these DNA samples, I have a little bit of an issue with that. So is that something that we can look forward to maybe getting an answer on Bigfoot Crossroads tomorrow? Uh, yes, actually. Uh if I remember correctly, Darby said that's how this project got started. People asking him, hey, if I do have samples, what lab can I send them to? Where, where can I send them? How should I do it? And he started looking into it and realized that there wasn't really any good alternatives out there. Uh, the problem with the scenario you're talking about specifically, uh, if you just have the money and you just go to a commercial private lab and say, here, I just want you to test this and tell me what it is. In all honesty, there's a 50, 50 chance it will ever get tested. You know, they'll look at it under a microscope if it's hair and, you know, if it does show up as something, you know, that they can't recognize, 
they're probably just going to stop at the first step that they don't recognize what it is and say, oh, well, this is contaminated or this is probably just something, you know, a dog hair or something. You can't really trust that. Uh, samples also get lost all the time. I know back in the early 2000, uh, we sent off several different hair samples to three different labs, I believe. We never even got to the point of any sort of DNA testing. This was just wow. looking under a microscope and trying to identify the hairs. And only one lab sent us back results. The other two labs never got it or lost it or whatever you want to say happened to it. Uh, the one lab that did look at it said, uh, yeah, this is most likely human, but we can't tell uh, any more information than that. We can't tell what part of the body. We can't tell what uh, racial background or anything, but it, it looks like human to us. And that's as far as it would go. Uh, they they wouldn't even offer to do any DNA testing on it. Uh, the Matt, North Carolina situation. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say from the MMA world, I'm going through this with uh, testing fighters' blood for PEDs because that became a big issue. And speaking to what Brian was talking about, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the UFC at certain points would send it to a certain lab, uh, and maybe they thought that that would be a friendly lab and that if it came up with certain results, that person might be able to fight on a main event that weekend and not squash the card the week prior. So I, I get what you're saying, but there are certain labs. And I think one of the critical points here is, uh, is knowing the accreditation of the lab and then chain of custody may require that somebody hand carry that to the lab. Uh, and especially, you know, if Brian's talking about you're spending a lot of money. Um, so I, I think, you know, that, that is very, very, uh, that is very necessary if you're going to be testing is to know what accreditations that the lab has, how deep they can go, what they can find. And then that that chain of custody is that, you know, that it made it, to, you know, to the lobby for intake at, at this lab, uh, because so you don't get screwed like like Matt and his guys did where they sent it off. And then all of a sudden they said they didn't get it or it got lost. Uh, I'm sorry. Did, did, did you have something else, though, Matt? I, I was just going to add that uh, this particular uh, DNA inquiry, it, it's multi-stages. It's not just straight to DNA. First, you know, it depends. They have to look at the samples. They have to determine that the samples uh, have genetic material that they can test and that it's worth actually taking the time to test it. They have two labs. I don't, I assume they're both uh, under North Carolina State University. Uh you know, but they do have two different labs. They have an array of, you know, professionals, professors, doctors, scientists, whatever you want to call them, uh, in different areas of research that are going to be involved in this project. Uh, everything's by the book. I mean, Darby had to fill out all the paperwork and get it approved by the board and everything else. Uh, so in my opinion, since I've been involved in this, this is the most well laid out uh, DNA inquiry that I've ever witnessed. I, I've never seen one that's gone to this level. This is exactly what we've always asked for. Hmm. Uh, so I, I do have high hopes, but again, it's only going to be as good as the sample submitted. And just because people think that they have Bigfoot hair doesn't mean they have Bigfoot hair. Uh, but I do believe that it will be transparent and people will be held accountable for that are involved in this project 
So if you can get the samples there, uh, <laughs> I would I would suggest doing it, and I look forward to see what the outcomes are. And make sure they're not from that quarter horse that jumped over the barbed wire fence. Right. <laughs> so, uh, we have a question here from Joe Bonavicius here. Great last name. And it says, uh, and this one actually is the inverse of what we spoke about earlier. A question for Brian. Out of all of the people you've interviewed who saw this creature, who do you believe the most? It's a difficult question, but you could come up with one out of ten even. But sure. I think... It really, this is something that's come up recently and I've been a guest on other shows and have asked similar questions. And it's a more recent interview that I did. It's probably a month or two back now, but there was a hunter that was out. I think he was from Washington State. I don't know where they were hunting. It wasn't Washington State, but it was the episode where his whole entire, they were out hunting for moose he and his dad, and they separated. Yes. Or they, yes. they were looking for elk, I'm sorry. Yes. They were hunting for elk. And they got separated. They hunted in different areas each day. And I think it was the second or third day into it, like a 10-day trip. This guy started hearing wood knocks. And he started, it, it's, it was a really long story. It progressed yes. into, you know, this thing was doing wood knocks. And he would stop and listen. And when he would stop, he would hear knocks again. And he kept getting closer and closer to where it was coming from. It culminated in this thing stepped out from behind a tree and they had sort of this face-to-face kind of moment. And it scared the shit out of this guy. And he had to get therapy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he went to the bottom of a bottle. He literally said, you know, he tried to bury what he saw in the bottom of a bottle for a couple of years afterwards until he got some therapy and figured out, you know, that he had seen what he saw and he just accepted it and it was what it was. But I tell you, it was one of the most compelling and i've had a lot of compelling people on the show but to look in this guy's eyes and watch him recount the story and to his credit he had told part of the story before he had told his wife he finally told his wife he finally told his dad and the first time he told the entire story on my show was the first time he'd ever put all the pieces together and told it from beginning to end and it was very cathartic i mean he thanked me at the end of the episode and said i you know, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and having a platform for people like me to do that. And, you know, the, the interesting twist to his story was something I'd never heard before. He believed that he was being lured in by the Sasquatch for nefarious reasons. He felt like the wood knocks were being used to lure him in. And that's something I'd never heard. You know, we think about yeah, communication, yeah. they're counting, they're, they're warning each other, they're talking to each other with wood knocks, what have you. But it was really interesting for, for me to see that process play out on his face and in his mind as we were talking. And it really pissed him off because he said, I should have known better. I am a hunter. I have been around guns. I've been in tactical situations with martial arts training and things like that. I should have known better than to fall for the bait and be baited in by a Sasquatch doing wood knocks. And that really stuck out to me. And it was one of the reasons that I found it really compelling. So, Brian, can I say I 100% believe that guy's story? I heard that entire episode. It was actually, I think it was when I went on a Bigfoot expedition in Ocala. I was actually in the hotel room uh, getting ready for the next day, ironically, when when I heard that that narrative. The issue that I had with his, his story was there was a couple of earmarks there. One of them was he went into exhaustive, granular detail about every movement that he made and 
and I wasn't police officer, but I made all these tactical movements and I had a 44 on my chest and this. And, and I think a lot of that, what he says, draw him in is that's in his mind. That thing is doing wood knocks. I don't think that thing was trying to draw him in. If that wanted to get him, it would have got him. And we know, we know from many, many different hunters and people that have had encounters. If this thing wanted me, it had me. Some people say they didn't even lift their rifle. I think he went in there out of his curiosity. And there's one, one tell from people that go into the woods heavily armed, as heavily armed as this individual was. And God bless him. I mean, be armed, you know, when you want to go in the woods and you don't know what you're, maybe you're going to encounter a Kodiak bear. Who knows, right? Something you need to have firepower, right? But when you do that and all of a sudden you go, oh, shit, there is something here that I'm scared of despite being as heavily armed. And when that mind F happens to that individual, you can ascribe a lot of intent to the animal that the animal does not have. And that was what I came away with that. I called Matt right away after I heard that episode. Uh, and, and spoke about that because I absolutely believe it happened to him. I think it freaked him out that all of a sudden he said, wait a minute, I'm not the baddest thing in the woods. This thing is. And it was trying to draw me. No, it was probably wood knocking, telling me, oh, who knows what it's telling that This guy's getting closer to me. Who knows? We don't know what these wood knocks mean. But he interpreted it the way that he wanted to interpret it from his granular, uh, exhaustive, tactical mind set that he approaches hunting with and that's the way i saw that yeah i think you're you're you may be right there again you know i wasn't there so i i, I don't know but i think that's a pretty good analysis of what happened in that situation and again you know the other thing that he really had a hard time with and really dealt with it obviously you listen dj so you know but he didn't tell his dad about it and they went out right. hunting for another like seven days seven days <laughs> and his dad's going out hunting and He's in the truck. He goes and tells his dad he's going to his area, but he goes and sits in the truck with his rifle in his lap because he didn't want to go in the woods. Right. And he really had a hard time with that guilt. I think that's probably what ate him up the most because he really felt like this thing could have killed him and taken him out with very little effort. It could have. didn't tell his dad and give him the opportunity to make the determination of, <laughs> okay, I'm still going after, I've got an elk tag, I'm going to get it. I don't give a shit what's out there. You know, but he didn't tell his dad and he really felt bad because he, he thought, you know, God, what if something had, if this thing had gotten my dad, I would have never been able to live with myself. But, you know, it was a really compelling story. It was, it was an interesting interview and, you know, I believe the guy for sure. I, yeah, I absolutely believe him. It's just very, I mean, we've all listened to Wes's show for a number of years and all of your shows, you know, you and Vic and, and, and Matt. And when somebody the first time, you know, I have a friend who's a prodigious bow hunter. Um, he's very, he goes out way from, he's a New Yorker like myself and he, he, he's part of groups and clubs that he goes all over the U S bow hunting and stuff. And I mean, these guys are the ninjas of the woods. As soon as you go out there and you find out that no matter how much firepower you have, you don't feel like you're the baddest thing there. That messes with a lot of people's mind because that's what a weapon does. A weapon, you know, I mean, every, we've all hand aside from Deb, and I, I can't speak for Deb, but I know Matt, you and myself have all handled, uh, you know, high-powered weaponry, M4s and so forth, uh, and, and grenade launchers and, and, and so forth, automatic weapons. You feel powerful, when, and all of a sudden you feel like, wait, I don't think this is not, you know, I am... I am just shivering with fear right now. That's not something that happens when when you have that kind of firepower. 
And depending upon what kind of rounds you have, uh, also, I mean, you could feel like I have rounds that'll, 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 you know, at least stop something from coming at me. And then when, now when you, you know, in his case, he's counting off paces, <laughs> like, wait, in this many paces, he could get to me before I could get, he's, he's way overthinking it. That thing was out there. Who knows what its intent was, but I don't know that it had any intent to draw him in. It probably was trying to protect itself and it saw him as a threat. More than likely, that seems to be how they see uh, hunters and how they seem to see guns. Uh, they know what a gun is. They probably can smell that gun oil uh, that, that, that rifles are clean with. It has a very, very specific smell. So anyway, uh, somebody said, my my screen, somebody had something. Is that Deb yeah, or Matt? Uh, yes, ma'am, please. Actually, um, because I have been talking to people about you know the police and safety and involvement with the paranormal and you were talking about you know someone approaching this with kind of a shock you know ontological shock as julie just said in the chat um what would you advise for preparing people for encountering something what would be like good preparatory steps for those that are currently afraid or you know like i believe it or not this actually to me is important so it, no, it, it, it is really important, and Brian is not – nobody's going to be able to answer that, but that is a very, it is a great question. I can't wait to see how Brian answers this. I'm trying to look up at my books to get the name of the book right, but Dr. John Berenchok wrote a book, and I'm actually working to get John on the show here in the next week or so. It's called Psychological Horizons and Scientific Bigfoot Research, and John is a mental health professional, has been for, gosh, I, I would say – three decades, maybe more. I don't know. I don't want to uh, add to his, his credentials that, that aren't there. John can talk about that on the show, but his book is really all about that, Deb. It's about how to go through processes where if you are going out into the field to look for Bigfoot, things and practices you can put in place for yourself to hopefully assist you with that should you run into one of these things. And that's what his book is really all about. So I'm very interested. I met him a couple of years ago. I was a speaker up at a conference in Tennessee and John was there participating and I got to actually meet him there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation. But there are things that you can do that I don't know about that John's going to talk about on the show coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Hey, uh, this uh, uh, from Epic D Media. He said, hey, Brian, love your show. Are you considering making a video documentary when you go out in the woods with Todd? I don't know which Todd he's talking about, if it's Todd Standing or another Todd. He is talking about Todd Standing because I'm actually going up to Radium in October to do a week-long Bigfoot expedition with Todd and Kyle DeShane while I'm up there. So for people who have listened to the show, which Epic says I, I like listening to your show, so you've you've – there's no love lost there. There's no qualms about me calling Todd standing out as a hoax. I've done it for two years plus on my show. And so we have this history, right? But I call it a, I don't know what the word for it would be. We're, we're not enemies. We're more like frenemies in certain ways because, you know, I believe Todd has had experiences and mm -hmm. I just believe his videos are fake. I just, I don't believe they're real. And I've told him that, you know, I called him out for a couple of years on the show. I finally had Les Stroud, Survivor Man Les Stroud. Most people in the Bigfoot community are familiar with Les, his Survivor Man television show, and then ultimately Survivor Man Bigfoot. 
I had less on the show and he spent time with Todd up in radium. I think they were up there for a couple of weeks, boots on the ground, researching, filming, doing all this stuff. And when I had less on the show, we talked about, I thought the videos were fake and I, I kind of called him to the carpet and asked him what he thought about them. And he had issues, right? There's some issues about where the, where's the rest of the footage? Where's what happened leading up to the videos? What happened after the videos? All we see are these HD quality videos of boom, there's a Sasquatch in my face and nothing else. So that was a big issue for less. And, you know, eventually I, I kept asking Todd on the show and he would not return calls. He would not reach back out. Once I had less on the show, we talked about it. Then he contacts me and comes on the show. And to his credit, I mean, he answered the questions. He he stood up to, you know, the scrutiny. He answered some of the questions about his sister being a special effects makeup artist. He denied that stuff, you know, and, you know, we never really, we just really agreed to disagree. You know, I got sort of a, I call it a quasi admission from Todd that, you know, it was basically... I have the audio on my computer somewhere. I was just doing it. Trying to bolster what, what basically trying to bolster actual sightings with, with those videos and stuff or actual experiences. Yeah. It, it basically, that's what it boils down to. You know, I, I, was, I was trying to see if I could pull it up. I've got it here somewhere. People can hear it in his own words, but basically in a nutshell, he's saying, you know, I, some special effects makeup artist that worked on Lord of the Rings reached out to him and said, God, man, I would love to give you a job. Your stuff is fantastic. <laughs> your, videos are, your videos are clearly fake, but we'd love to give you a job because you're doing <laughs> And Todd's like, Todd's answer is, man, there's no way I could fake that. Those videos are real. And the guy was like, well, you know, if you did fake it, you obviously faked it for species recognition. You faked it for, you know, protection of the species and and Todd says that on my show he's like I you know what it boils down to is they're either real or if I faked it I faked it for species recognition because I'm sure as shit having these experiences I'm finding footprints I'm finding tree breaks I'm finding all this stuff so I kind of called it a quasi admission you know I'd never heard him say anything like that anywhere else other than on my show so it, it it's like the uh, OJ Simpson book if I did it but anyway, <laughs> um, so Tiffany, Tea Time with Tiffany says, uh, yeah, that's so exciting. Can't wait to, that you're going to do that. I also can't wait to hear about that, Brian. And Tiffany, if you've got a question for Brian, throw it in there. And if not, uh, Matt, what do you say? Should we should we transition over to uh, Patterson Gilmlin and Brian's property? Real quick, before <laughs> we do that, let me answer Epic's question. Sure. People have asked me that. I do. I am taking a camera. I am going to do some videotape. I am going to hopefully do some campfire interviews, just me and Todd and maybe Kyle. I think Kyle's dad's coming as well. So it's really going to just be me and them. So I'll have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time and I'm going to, I'm planning on asking Todd back to the show after the expedition to talk about and probably have Kyle on as well about what happens, what doesn't happen and maybe do a follow-up you know, round two, but I'm not going to do a full documentary. I mean, I have a Canon camera, like uh, I don't have the stuff, the equipment to do a, a full on video documentary, but there will be video, there will be photographs and I'm taking some audio recorders to put out as well. So there'll be lots for me to bring back. Okay. I'm done. No, I was going to say, dude, I think you're going to hear stuff. I think you're going to, as a minimum, you're going to probably hear vocalizations and 
and uh, he's probably going to be able to show you like what he showed Meldrum, probably some footprints and structures. I think it's going to be epic if you're going up to that area. You better make sure you're getting your PT on, man, to, to get up into that terrain, brother. <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Oh, look at that. Yeah, he's training. Good, man. Going to be out there like Rocky tomorrow, man, running down those country roads. Matt, are uh, you ready to get into some Patterson Gimlin, some sort of, uh, you know, overall thoughts on taking one in, all that kind of stuff, Matt? Yeah. Uh, I'm down for whatever. All right. So let's – so Brian has some some issues with Patterson Gimlin, so take it away, Matt, and then I'll, you know, I'll come in after that and I'll get Deb in there. Uh, I mean, let's just start right there. What <laughs> – what what's your issues with the Patterson? Is it the film that you have issues with, or the story? Or both? it has all it has always been about the film for me. I've I've always wanted it to be real. I still want it to be real, and I just did a show about this. Like I said, you know, I think it was last week. And after I really got into the minutia of the story. Hearing the Patterson Gimlin interview on Canadian radio from October 26th of 67, six days after they filmed this, and comparing that to some of the interviews that I've heard Bob do more recently, I think the one I compared it to on the show and, and sort of did my commentary on was in 2019. And although there are some inconsistencies there, is that, you know, an 80 plus year old man, 50 plus years after an incident? Probably so. But one of the big glaring things that stuck out to me that that has sort of been an issue with the story outside of the film was Bob got the date wrong. He got the day of the week wrong in these two interviews that I compared. In 67, he's talking about it being on a Friday, which October 20th, 1967 is a Friday. But in later interviews and as, as far back or as recently as 2019, he was saying that it happened on a Saturday. That's kind of a big deal, in my opinion, because there's always been this question about how the film got developed, where it got developed, how quickly things happened, and that kind of stuff. But let's stick just to the film. It's it's never, in my opinion, going to be definitive enough, right? It is what it is. The film was filmed the way that it was. There's only so much that you can do. Bill Munns and tons of people have done tons of things to enhance it. I had Henry Franzoni on my show. Well, it hasn't aired yet, but I, I talked to Henry a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, back in the early 90s, he and uh, Jeff Glickman, I think it was, they spent a half a million dollars to prove whether the Patterson-Gimlin film was a hoax or is it real. And at the end of the day, it's like Henry told me. I won't use his words. He used some colorful words, but he's like, find something else to talk about because you're never going to get to the end of that question because there's not enough there there. Either you believe it's real or you don't. That's that's what it comes down to. But I'll be honest, I shifted my opinion. I was about 50-50 on it. I'm more like 80-20, 90-10 that it is a real creature in that film. And some of the things that have changed my mind, obviously, are talking to Jeff Meldrum about that's right. it talking to cliff brackman about it you know those guys have over the years the last couple of years having the opportunity to have those kind of conversations have sort of shifted my opinion and then like i said once i really dove into the interviews and watched bob's body language and studied you know i, I took classes i was a an interrogator I, I i interviewed people i was an investigator so 
I'm pretty good at reading people's body languages and the tales when it comes to people being dishonest. And I just don't see it in Bob in that 2019 interview. The one that's on the Sasquatch archives, everybody should go check that out. You can see the 1967 video. It's just basically the PG film and then it's the audio. It's about 20 minutes or so, the full interview that's on there. And you can kind of get an idea, but you know, after going through that and really deep diving into that and listening and comparing those two over the last couple of weeks doing research for that, I'm I'm pretty sure that it's a real creature and I believe it happened the way that Bob says it happened. So there you go. I'm on the record now. Yeah, I, I, I really like that because I, I hear when I listen to you talk about this on not just that one episode, but a number of episodes, you struggle because it's very I, I find that you as there's something in you that finds it difficult to believe despite what's happened on your property despite you knowing and you recounting all the facts surrounding what's happened on your property you struggle with being able to say i believe and it it's something that's within you all these people can offer all this hyper analysis and jeff meldrum like you said he has said on our show and on many shows he said if i didn't even have the film just the footprints alone he said would be enough then you know and he goes through all those things and in my opinion, being a 1967 product myself, I, I, I don't believe that anybody could fake that, uh, that creature, what's on there. It, it looks like, absolutely looks like a real creature. And then there's a ton of narrative, but uh, one of the more interesting ones of the, a guy who was there about nine years earlier, and Tom Cantrell, says that these guys are from, two, from Yakima, Washington. Why wouldn't they just go out in the woods in Washington and stage this thing? What the hell do you need to drive 600 miles to California to do this if you wanted to fake it? So it just it doesn't make sense. But this is the type of hyper analysis that we hear all there are body language experts that came out and said, David Grush, uh, I, I see tells in what he's saying that he's not being honest. And then uh, they ended up um, Ross Coltart. The interview came out and said, well, did you guys know that he's autistic? <laughs> so nobody knew that. I didn't know that. Uh, th it, it turns out that they make very good intel analysts. Um, and by the way, this dude was, a, he's 36 years old. He was a GS-15 as a 36-year-old. Like, my mind can't even go there to get to GS-15. And he worked for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, he was chopped to the National Reconnaissance uh, Office, the NRO, and then from there, they farmed him out to be a member of the UAP task force, which is how he got into this entire mess that ended up ruining his damn career. Um, so not to mention, did, did I mention to you he used to compile the president's daily intel briefs? <laughs> I mean, those guys get, you know, they're screened pretty, pretty closely, man. A lot of polygraphs. I know you understand about polygraphs. Um, I've had a polygraph. Uh, it's not fun. Uh, and that guy went through a number. He said the reason that he could be read into these programs, he's been through enough polygraphs that he said, I didn't have a need to know every program that's out there, obviously. But he said, I had a high enough clearance to have been read into anything if they would have allowed me to. And they said, no, Psst stop in the name of love you're not getting read into this program and that's when they started harassing him uh so this type of hyper analysis has gone on with the patterson gimlin film and i just don't think that there's enough there's all these narratives around that they can't get around the bob tit miscasts 
uh, that came um, just after the day after, and then the the film of this unbelievably physical female creature, which never would have been. Nobody in their right mind would have created a female creature to begin with. It would have been a male creature, and it would have looked like the narrative. People say the big V taper and the whole nine yards. Instead, like they said, it looked like a refrigerator with arms. Uh, but you can see the and trap. You know the traps. I mean, anybody who's played football would die to have traps like Patty had. So, <laughs> and that's a female Bigfoot. Um, anyway, Matt, did you, I, I want to just, if you have something, uh, further on, it, it was great to hear you say that, Brian, cause I never heard you that definitive on it. And, and let me go to Matt and then, uh, Deb. I mean, if we can just take the Patterson Gimlin film out of the equation for a second, are there any other publicly released videos that you believe are authentic besides the Patterson film? Just remove it entirely. I do. And I tell you, I'm actually speaking at the Idaho SquatchCon coming up in August, August 26th. And it'll be me, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Cliff Brackman, and Michael Freeman, Paul Freeman's son. Yeah. The Freeman, file, the, the Freeman Files book. He wrote that. It's been out for months now. But Paul Freeman's footage, I think from 91 or 92, is the other piece of the puzzle for me. It's probably, for most people in the Bigfoot world, it's a probably one and two with the PG film and then the or the uh, Freeman footage. And you know, there's tons of people out there that have talked badly about Paul Freeman. You know, I had Thomas Steenberg on my show. Thomas Steenberg was on his side for many, many years. And then towards the end of things, sort of, took a, a left turn and said, you know, he believed he was hoaxing stuff and other people have had concerns about it as well. But I have to say, I've seen the enhanced version, the non interlaced enhanced slowed down zoomed in version of this film that, uh, Doug Highcheck and Alex Highcheck, his son. And I think Blaine had a hand in it as well with looking into and really diving in and kind of doing what's been done with the, uh, Patterson Gimlin film. And I know Cliff Brackman has done a, his own sort of thing outside of that to, to enhance it and, and do the non-interlaced version of this film. Because what most people see is like an interlaced version of it. Anything you look up now, if you go and do Freeman footage on YouTube, which probably there's probably some people opening up a browser right now and doing that. Mm -hmm. If you look at it, there's not a lot of there there. But I've seen the enhanced version of it. I've seen this slowed down and zoomed in. And it is very compelling to me. That looks like what I would consider to be a Sasquatch. And you can see this thing walking over to a tree and picking up what looks to be a baby, baby. a toddler, a juvenile. I don't know. It looks like a baby to me. And this thing's wrapping its legs around this huge creature. And you can really see it in this enhanced version. And one of the, the cool things that we're doing in Idaho at the SquatchCon is I don't think this has ever been done. We're going to do a panel discussion and show that non-interlaced enhanced version of this film so people can see it. And we're broadcasting it on, you can watch it live as it happens. So you don't have to be in Idaho to do it. You can actually check it out. And if you want to go to hangeronepublishing.com, you can check that out now. Just go to shop and then you can see where you can uh, be a part of that on August the 26th. But I think... I said all that to say that is one of the most compelling pieces of public footage that's out there, at least for me, in my opinion, 
that sort of hammered at home because, and again, it was very much like the, the PG film. I watched it over and over and over. And I just kind of said, Ugh, you know, I want to believe, but I'm not so sure. But if you talk to Michael Freeman and you talk about the day that his dad filmed that and him coming home with that film and how excited his dad was and the way that his dad explained it. And he, Michael said, literally, he said this on my show, you know, I had a couple of friends over and my dad, I thought we were going to tear the tape up and, and like, break the tape because we watched it so many times over and over and over again. And my dad was so excited and, you know, it sort of clicked for me then talking to Michael, you know, you can be a Bigfoot hoaxer, right? If you want to hoax somebody and you want to go out and be a Rick Dyer and, and just hoax for money or whatever, and then just stick your middle finger up at people. That's one thing, but to do that and then come home and share it with your teenage son and their friends and talk about it the way that Paul Freeman talked about it the day that it happened. There's just something about that story to me that was compelling. And I just, I don't think that he hoaxed that. And I don't think he would hoax that and then bring it home and make his son a part of it and lie to his son, lie to his son's face and say, look what dad caught or look what I found or look what I got. And it not yeah. be true. That's, why that's a whole nother level there, right? Yeah. Why would he do that? Why would he lie to his son? You, I mean, he's not trying to impress his son. He's trying to impress us, you know, the public at large. Yeah. I, I, can you do the voice brand where he goes, there he goes. Can you, <laughs> I love that. I love it. I cannot do the, I cannot do the Paul Freeman voice. I there love he goes. It. Anyway. Oh, there he goes. There you go. That was good. That was good. <laughs> that was better than mine. You did it good, Ryan. All right. It's the Southern accent. I have the Southern accent. It helps. This, that was good, man. Um, yeah, I want to say, Jules, um, if you could see if you could find this, um, the Paul Freeman Bigfoot footage, because Anon E.T., by the way, welcome, uh, Anon E.T., and thank you for coming to a Bigfoot episode. We appreciate when our uh, UFO uh, fans come and join in a Bigfoot episode because it's such an amazing topic. Um and Bigfoot influencer. So uh, Tim and Dana are obviously home from dinner. Tim, did you get the carbonara? And did did Julie get like the eggplant parm? I just like to know what you guys had for dinner tonight, or or was it lake trout? I don't know. Um, also, um, if you are a Bigfoot, uh, if if you are cohabitating with a Bigfoot out there and you need a babysitter and you're near Baltimore, Deb is willing to babysit your Bigfoot for date night, right, Deb? Is that correct? Yes, and if they offer a big enough vehicle, I would probably transport the baby for them. Oh, yeah. So if yeah, if 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 your Bigfoot baby can't fit in Deb's minivan, uh, let us know and we'll see if see what we can arrange to get her over to her house. Be sure you don't stay out too late. You know, Deb likes to be in bed by eleven. Um, anyway, um, so I thought where we might go now is to talk about you know because you had on a couple of the guys from the. Uh, North American, is it called the North American Wood Ape Conservancy? Is that the Correct. name of it? Yes. Okay. And so we could we could go again on uh, on this shoot him and bring him in uh, and prove they exist, or I'll let them continue on as is and see which is kind of going to be the better for the species or what the result would be. Some so, so Matt, do you want to go first on? Oh, well, actually. Deb, did you want to take a shot at that, or did you want to uh, let uh, uh, Matt and 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 Brian go, and then you go? What what is your feeling, my well, friend? Well, I'm I'm always going to say let them live. You know, I'm not a fan of shooting anything. So, like, why would we 
do that. Like, there are obviously a limited number of them. Like, just because we're curious, like, that's awful. Yeah, I, I heard one of the gentlemen on the on another podcast, uh, I won't name it or him, but he said it's not politically correct. Uh, or he said, oh, you know, it's 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 not politically correct. And I'm like, it's nothing to do with that. Everybody who's eating food, I mean, you're eating an animal that was severely uh, killed in a, in, a, in a factory somewhere, whether it was a chicken or a cow or a pig. I mean, so there's no moral equivalency to make here. It, a hunter, an animal suffers a whole lot less when it's shot by a hunter than it does. The question is what he, what he also, and so I objected to him using a, the political angle of it, which is BS. It just has to do with, he mentioned after that, it's a sentient thing. Right. That's the issue, <laughs> that it's a sentient thing that we see this kinship with, obviously. That's the thing. It's not politically correct. There's nothing to do with it. But anyway, Matt, let me let you go first, brother. I mean, what's your, your how long take? Have you been trying to shoot one? Uh, not just them specifically. I mean, there's an uh, another group. They're probably defunct now called the uh, GCBRO. We used to call them the bro, the Gulf Coast Bigfoot Research Organization. Yes. Uh, and their entire thing was shooting one. They had private property. They had you know, blinds, hunting blinds, stands, everything else. They would go and have active snipers on the property overnight, you know, just staying up all night long trying to shoot one. They did this for, God, I don't even know how long. A couple of decades. Uh, they even ended up with a TV show about their antics. Never, never got one. Uh, as far as we know of anybody that has been trying to shoot one, to prove it to the world that they exist has been completely unsuccessful in their task. At this point, uh, with technology and the tools that are accessible to anybody, uh, I think there are better routes to go. If for no other reason than the simple fact that no matter what you think you know, none of us, at least nobody sitting here right now at least, uh, knows what these things are. You could very well pull the trigger on a human. These things could be human, not necessarily like us, maybe a different type of human, maybe a relic hominid of some kind. We don't know. Uh, and then after you pull the trigger, if you are able to drop one, your troubles have just begun. Now, now get this, you know, thousand pound, 1200 pound, eight foot tall, giant thing out of the woods. Uh, good luck with that. Have a place to take it. Where are you going to... I mean, this is like a huge undertaking uh, just to even go down that rabbit hole that you're probably just going to waste your entire time trying to accomplish. I think people would be better suited uh, pursuing it in a different way or trying to learn about these things instead of just wasting their time out there trying to shoot one for... I, I don't know what else it is, but ego. That's the only thing I can think of. Please, Brian. I feel like I'm going to be very unpopular now. <laughs> no, I'll say no, this. not at all. Not at in all. all. In all seriousness, I this is something that I have talked about ad nauseum on my show and talked about with people. I'm in the process now. I'm about eight chapters into Matt Pruitt's book, The Phenomenal Sasquatch. And, 
you know, Matt was and and still is a part of the North American Wood Ape Conservancy. And, you know, I I'm interested in what they're doing. And I've had those guys on because I find what they're doing interesting. You know, I'm not in any way associated with them outside of just my interest. So these last three or four shows that I've had with those guys on and Matt's actually going to come on at the end of this month to promote his book and have a conversation about some of this stuff. But Matt poses a very simple question in the beginning of his book, and it is one of those questions that most of us in the community have asked so many times, is we know that the phenomenon of Bigfoot is real, obviously, right? We're all talking about it. We're all a part of it in some way. People continue to have encounters with what they believe to be a Sasquatch. So the phenomenon itself exists. Then the only question becomes, does it exist in physical form in the form of some sort of relic hominoid, hominin, hominid? Is it some sort of an ape? Is it some sort of a physical creature? Or does it only exist in the minds of those who choose to believe it? That's really the only questions that we have to answer. And I struggle with, I believe it is a physical creature. I do believe that. Sure. Patterson Gimlin film clearly is a physical creature. I don't believe that exists in my mind. I see it. It's on film. It's there. So I've sort of answered that question for myself. Then the, I started shifting to this recently on my show when I have people on and they're out investigating. It happened. The, the show that's going to post tomorrow on the show was a lady that has had multiple experiences from childhood into her adulthood. And she goes out all the time now with this, this group of ladies that she goes out and hunts for Bigfoot and tries to have these experiences. I asked her if you know they exist and you're have, you've had your experiences, you've seen these things, what's the motivation for you to keep going? And her answer was simple. I want people to know about them. I want other people to know and believe that they exist. Hmm. And that's my motivation. So it sort of becomes a, what's your motivation for the NAWAC? They say their motivation is to harvest a specimen. Mm -hmm. and to prove the species is real and then to work on conservation of the species because so anybody into this subject or any subject at all knows what science requires when you're talking about a new species in most cases i know people will point to certain things there are certain species that have been recognized only on video and other evidence i get that but when you're talking about bigfoot i think everybody who's an adult in the room knows that that's not going to happen if that were the case there's tons of anecdotal evidence out there of videos and purported pictures and, and encounters of Sasquatch. They should have been recognized by now. So it's not going to happen. It's going to take a type specimen. So then you get into those groups that have that in mind when they go out and do their research. You know, I've said it before. I don't want to be the one to shoot one. I would not want to do that. If I have an encounter with one of those wherever I happen to be, I don't want to be the guy who has to take it down unless it's for self-preservation. Sure. But I think it has to be a real conversation. If you're, if you're content with just knowing they exist and you accept that and you sure. say, just leave them alone, let them live. That's okay. That's certainly your opinion. But for some of us who really want the species to be proven scientifically and then studied, and then I, I want to know what they are. I mean, so, just my curiosity and, you know, I guess that's part of the problem for some people is, well, my curiosity shouldn't be uh, a license to go out and shoot something that may or may not be very closely related to human beings. I totally get that. But my opinion is that, unfortunately, if we're going to prove the species beyond a reasonable doubt and prove it to be a scientific fact and then go anywhere else, whether the turn is a left turn or right turn or wherever it goes from there, 
you're going to have to take a, a type specimen probably too for science to to figure out what they are and you know sort of validate the species there's just there's so many ifs that are packed in there you know that's that's that that's the problem you know because again I, I think i said on your show is we say this in in the the ufo abduction thing you know you're one of your neighbors there in fayetteville chris uh, chris bledsoe has been abducted he is every government agency has been down to his property we interviewed a cia a former CIA agent who went to his property and had an experience. We interviewed a PhD, Dr. Diana Pasolka, also in North Carolina at uh, UNC Charlotte that went down there and had an experience, um, and a number of people. But has he proven anything that, that all of America says, oh, yeah, okay, this exists? We just had a government guy, that the most highly cleared. The guy resigned April 7th. Dude, we're not even 90 days out from that in the government, and people still don't believe him. So what makes these people think that and, – and by the way, Grush, you know, the president, uh, the National Command Authority, which is the president, the SECDEF, the Joint Chiefs haven't even addressed his comments and said, oh, yeah, this is legit. Yeah, we do have these programs. So what makes people think if these guys in Oklahoma or any group goes out and takes a specimen that anyone's going to believe it, that when you try to bring it someplace that it's not going to be apprehended, that they're not going to descend upon you as soon as word gets out that you have one, you know, you're going to go snatch a scientist from like some agricultural college and, and bring him to a barn somewhere and, and have him ex examine this decaying body. I mean, how, how does this happen? And then when it does happen... The problem is, so getting people, like with her saying, I want people to know it exists. People already definitely know it exists. There's no question. We're past that. The question is, if you want everybody in America, we can't get anybody, everybody in America to agree on anything. Nothing. 50% of the people in America believe one thing. 50% believe something else. So what will the culture... Let's say, for example, that everything goes right. You get a specimen... And they say, okay, this is an animal uh, that we haven't seen very closely. We're well above the 90 percentile. We're in the 95 to 98 percentile because they say that a gorilla is 90 percent of our DNA. Let's say they, they say that this is an even greater percentage uh, and it's announced. What becomes of the trophy hunting culture now? To go, How many people are going to say, I want to go and get one of these things. I want this thing hanging on the wall of my Colorado uh, ski lodge house or as a rug. I mean, how likely is that to happen once America says, okay, there's such a thing out there? I mean, without, without protections in place and I'm a professional – my mic was completely gone <laughs> without, without some kind of protections in place and the conservation efforts there. Sure. That's a possibility, but you know, there's a lot of yahoos who go out and I'm sure there's plenty of people we don't know about who probably go out Bigfoot hunting every single weekend. They get, mm -hmm. they drink a case of beer and they go out with their buddies. I'm going to bag me a Sasquatch. Right. And I can talk like that because I'm in the South. You're Southerner, <laughs> right? That's right. right I'm a Southerner. 
But yeah. that's the thing, you know, I, I don't think it would be necessarily, I don't think the, the discovery of the species and it being scientifically recognized would necessarily lead to that, in my opinion. I could be wrong. But, you know, at the end of the day, here's the thing. I think they're, and I've said this before, I think they're doing just fine without us. I <laughs> think it right. is more of an ego thing for us. I know it is for me. It's it's my own personal want and desire to be validated in my belief that these things exist. And again, that's that's usually up in the air from day to day because, you know, I, I still, I question myself when I have something go on on my property or I have an experience of my own. I question that constantly. But I think that's a healthy way to, to go about things, you know, I'm not completely 100% sold on anything and I love to be proven wrong. So anybody who proves me wrong and says, here's definitive proof of anything, I'm down that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be shaking your hand and saying, thanks for bringing that to me. And then let's, let's shift the conversation to something else or take it down the road even further. So I don't know. I just, again, I don't want to be the person who does it, but I think if, if we're talking just recognizing them scientifically, you know, and to their credit, again, I'm not affiliated with the NAWAC. I don't have any dog in that fight. But Nor through the interviews that I've done recently, you know, they have shifted to it's about a 50-50 effort to harvest a specimen versus capture video and picture evidence that they exist because they, too, believe that clearly they've been trying to kill one for a long time and it hasn't happened. So. You know, if they can switch to that and use technology to their advantage and maybe just maybe get some really good quality video of these things, it might take the ball down the field a little bit towards recognizing the species. You know, I applaud that effort, you know. Me too. And, you know, I don't think there's any danger. There hasn't been any danger over the last 10, 12 years that they've been out there that they're going to kill one tomorrow. So, you know. I, I, I totally agree. I just think there's there's, there's just a lot of issues People, you can say, you know, first of all, you have to make a con, you have to make, that's a whole lobbying effort now. Now you're trying to lobby Congress to, th who doesn't agree on anything. Ironically, UAPs has brought uh, strange bedfellows, you know, uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Marco Rubio, Ruben Gallego and um, Tim Burchett. Tim Burchett, by the way, Congressman Tim Burchett of Tennessee. Uh, a friend of mine is a constituent. I got his comms director's email. I actually thought about last night uh, talking to him about Bigfoot a little bit because the congressman does believe in both uh, UFOs and, and Bigfoot. Um, thank God. And is, is, is apolitical on the topic, which is anything that can bring the two sides of America together. I am, I am more than 100% behind it. I just think that uh, you can put out any kind of protections you want. People go out and, and shoot at things out of season all the time. That's what keeps forest rangers in business. When you put the most exotic animal on the on the continental United States, period, beyond, well beyond anything that exists, that will become a target. And if I were somebody that had money, I would be hiring ex-special forces guys to form my team to go out there and get one. If I had to have 10 guys out there with the best sniper rifles and everything if i'm that guy that guy who you know like the golf guy who went to africa to shoot a lion and then you know pose and say to his his, his buddies in the changing room look look what i shot i shot a lion you know okay great you know there are those people and they will they will go after this thing you you can because it, it's more exotic than a lion is <laughs> by a hundredfold right by a thousandfold 
because you can't just go on a safari and see one. So I mean, in fairness, sir. I've I've never seen a lion in the woods. <laughs> But on the savannah, you can I, get on I one knew, of those. If we're going statistically speaking in Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> now, I do, I do, I do want to clarify something with with what I my little rant that I went off on. I'm speaking specifically in terms of research organizations. Uh, I just think their efforts would be better spent pursuing a different goal than trying to harvest a specimen. That, that that's all I'm saying. Uh, I want I want to say something about ego too, Matt. I want to address ego and I want to address my own ego right here. Um, we do have an ego about being proven right. Deb has heard me try to stroke my own ego about being right about UAPs. I came on um, Brian's show because he had this guy, Leon, that was on that was saying, oh, that the Tic Tac was human made tech. And I, I, I emailed Brian said, I I just wanted to talk to Brian about that. I wasn't even trying to get on the show. He, he ended up inviting me on the show, but I was exercised because I know a lot about aerospace in our country. Turns out that David Grush, when Ross Coltart asked him about the Tic Tac, he said, 100% not ours. He said, put that in the book. That one's been investigated. We have a lot on that. And I, of course, the ego in me wants to say, I told you so. Is that really important that DJ told you so? No. What's important is that people know that it wasn't a Russian or a Chinese or a U.S.-made tech, that it was something anomalous. That the, and when those fighter pilots, and we're getting back to law enforcement and military, you have that Top Gun fighter pilot, his wingman, a radar operator on a ship, and a radar operator in an E-2 Hawkeye said, this is something that performed in a way we've never seen anything like this. I can't imagine that we could produce tech like that based on the flight characteristics of that tic-tac. And then David Grush said, Ross Coltart asked him directly about that. So yeah, my ego, I feel vindicated. Will a lot of us feel vindicated if, if we get to tell people who laugh at the office about when we say Bigfoot that if it was real? Yes. We'll get to say, <laughs> told you, stupid. But... Um, <laughs> But is that really, you know, how important really is that? And in terms of sentience and, and, and the being, if it's very close to us, I'll pose the same thing I said on your show. We know of people who have been, uh, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Julie, about my ego in the chat. That's great. Um, we know of people who claim to have been abducted. We don't know 100%, but there are people we believe that have been abducted, not the least of which is, on the circuit like you are, Travis Walton, from the 1975 incident. And is it okay to be abducted and, and, and just in the name of their science because they are a higher level species than us? So I think the, the, the number that the government wants to protect the most that they know, and Grush has not spoken directly to this, but he said people he believe have been murdered at the hands of the phenomenon. He used that word killed, okay? I think what the government doesn't want you to know, what Dave Pilates alluded to in his entire movie, was that people have been abducted and not come back. Is that okay if we do that to Sasquatch, who could be a, potentially could be a cousin of ours? I'm not saying it is, but is it okay? We're a higher species, so it's a, we get to make the decision, and you're okay. So if it happened to a family member of yours, would you just say, well, the UFOs took them, but... <laughs> It was, it, 
it was in furtherance of science. So it's okay. My daughter's gone. So, so what? Was that a question? <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause is anybody good? Is there any human being that's going to say that? I mean, that's up to the individual, you know, you, you got to yeah. make that decision for yourself because well, that, that, nobody's going to say it's okay. Like Matt, you wouldn't say it for your daughter. No, no, Nobody, no, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm saying, you know, the actual question at hand, you know, that that's up for the individual to decide if they're okay shooting at something that they don't have any idea what it is. Uh, are they willing to take that chance? And uh, unfortunately, uh, it's a situation where it doesn't matter how it affects the Bigfoot or the Sasquatch. Because we're a higher level species. It's like, you know, killing, it's like, you know, shooting a pig and then taking it and go ahead and throw it in the ground. Yeah, and we, 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 don't go ask a, we don't go ask a, a cow if it's okay if we kill it before we do right. it. We just do it. I'm just yeah. I'm just saying it's the same thing with the UFO taking somebody. You should be like, hey, it's okay, because they're they're a higher level species than we are, so they get to make that choice. Just keep talking so Deb can't. That's, I that's just all I'm, I'm so frustrated <laughs> Sorry, about Go anyone ahead, wanting to shoot these guys, and I'll tell you why for a few reasons. One, Please. there are humans that are covered in hair from head to toe. It's a condition, so. If, if these happen to be related in some way to humans and you shoot one, I really hope you go to jail when they come back with this is human DNA, just so you know. I'm like, go to jail, you know? Um, second of all, yeah, I know it seems harsh, but I'm like, leave them alone. Um, they don't have, it's they're basically endangered. So you're talking about shooting an endangered species. And also, if you look at what happened when they discovered the gorilla, they continue to hoax the gorilla. Um, and when I say discovered, I mean Western people discovered it because the people there were saying they were there all along. Um, they continued to hoax that at fairs. And like there are articles that you can read about what happened. And like they would just walk, like go off with these fake gorillas. So you're not necessarily going to be closer to the truth just because of the discovery. You're still going to be dealing with hoaxes and falsehoods until people accept it. So I don't know. I just, I can, I, my soul says leave them alone. I, I, I can't disagree. I mean, it's just uh, it, it, if you really want, you know, what is the motivation to, you know, to give that specimen to science? The science could say it exists. We already know it exists. But it's a really weird thing because it just doesn't fit in a category for other other thing, other animals. That's it's just really kind of like its own. It's its own tangent almost. Uh, but but what Deb's saying is, well, the gorilla was sort of in that tangent because it's a very close cousin and, and Bigfoot may be closer. And the condition you were talking about is uh, hypertrichosis. Uh, and to Julie, I was going to say, uh, killed is not murdered, just to be specific, true. The reason I use murder, the only reason I use that word is because Ross Coltart used that word in the interview with David Grush. So uh, he asked him about that. Uh, there's... Uh, 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 a, a number of them, he said, that were injured as a result of contact, being close to a craft or or being, I guess. And then there was also some that he attributed to killed or I think he used the word murder. And if I'm wrong, then uh, I will correct myself on the next cab. I, I also, uh, with, can I just yes, say one more thing real quick? Please, ma'am. Humans feel so guilty about 
they're eating meat in this brutal way that they will be developing synthetic meat soon by the way like not vegetarian although there's plenty of people who have become vegetarian but they're going to start creating new meat to avoid that inhumane slaughter stuff that we've been doing yeah it's uh i mean yeah anything that happens out in the field hunting is mild compared to what happens in the slaughterhouse i mean that this much we know and in fact uh uh, these creatures, if we believe all the reports that we've heard, they are significantly more terrified of Bigfoot and how it's going to break its bones and, and then snap its neck and consume it than it is in a hunter because uh, people have said they've laid down right next to the tree stand, right? You guys have heard those narratives. So, But we got to let Brian get out of here and sleep. Uh, Brian, uh, let's, let's talk about all the things that you got coming up. And I also, if you and Danny would email me tonight uh for the show notes everything that you have everything will be in the show notes of uh, this episode yeah so uh please go ahead sir as soon as i get my mic back on yes sir <clears throat> so uh the most pressing thing for us is july the 22nd i'll be in gatlinburg tennessee at the smoky mountain bigfoot conference I'll be handling the on-stage encounters portion of that, and they've got a pretty decent lineup coming. I think if you're interested in that sort of thing, they got Cliff Brackman coming, Matt Moneymaker, Renee Holland, Tony Merkel will be there, Lori Wade from the BFRO will be there, I will be there, and should be a good time. If you've never been to that conference, it is super. There's tons of people there. There's anything to do with Bigfoot, it's there. It's a it's a really good time. It's a cool venue and just a really interesting group of people in Tennessee. So uh, if you're in that area and you want to be a part of that, come out and see us there. And the next thing, I guess, after that would be Idaho Squatch Con. I talked about that. You know, if you want tickets to that, you can go to IdahoSquatchCon.com and you can come in person. There's still tickets available. If you want to do the virtual thing and be a part of that and get the all the great cool things that come with it the ebook from michael freeman you get the footage you get to be a part of what's going on with us on stage you can go to hangeronepublishing.com go to the uh i think it's in the shop tab there and it'll take you right over and you can be a part of history because i don't think anybody's ever done that with a bigfoot conference that i'm aware of so i think that's kind of a first but that's really it i've i've got some other things in the works we've been in talks for a while with the uh, History Channel on possibly doing a television series. It's encounters based with the show and some other things with a partner of mine in the UK who, who does a great podcast over there. So that's that's going on. But other than that, yeah, those are the the next two big things. And then obviously we've got tons of stuff coming out on the show. I'm putting out like three episodes a week and we've got other shows that we've added to the network. You know, check out the Paranormal Odyssey. Check out our friends at the Basement Hangout, Chad and Bob. They just joined the network. And then, of course, the Kentucky X-Files guys, uh, Denny and Tyler and Josh, they do a fantastic job. Yeah. So we got a little bit of everything. Go to ParanormalWorldProductions.com and check that out. I dig it, man. I dig it. Yeah, we're doing the same, we're doing the same thing with our, our little network here, and it's great to get like people on. We've ended up getting a couple of co-hosts. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll get Bigfoot Crossroads on here, but not yet. <laughs> but uh, we do have that um, uh, UFO Thinker Pod, and then Leah, who you didn't get to meet, she's actually out in Idaho. She's gonna she's working on something called Version Zero that I think is gonna be pretty dope for UAP stuff. Uh, but uh, Matt, do you have anything? Any parting shots before we do cabbie goodbyes? 
No, man. Uh, Good. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I got a show coming out tomorrow. Uh, got one coming out next Friday. Uh, try to get one every Friday, you know, uh, doing my thing, man, just like everybody else. Yeah, Bigfoot Crossroads is also in the show notes, so you'll see that along with whatever uh, Brian sends me. Deb's show is also in the show notes. Deb, cabby, goodbye. Thank you so much for coming today, Brian, and um, putting up with my preaching about <laughs> to save the Bigfoot. <laughs> and, um, and have all your knowledge that you imparted on us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I had a blast. I, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, you could tell. It's just Deb has a heart. I mean, she just has a heart as big. She has this thing called UAP Med we didn't even tell you about. but um, And Bigfoot uh, folks are, are welcome to that. If you're a, somebody who's in the therapy business, uh, basically anybody who's had encounters, needs to talk, needs to get out there, you can contact UAP Med and they will get you somebody to talk to about your encounter that's a professional. Uh, a medical health professional of, of one sort or another. So that's uh, Deb's one of Deb's side projects along with her website. If you want to research anything UAP at UFO Connector, which is also in our show notes, um, you can go there and Deb will. Deb has, uh, I mean, she's very dedicated to this. So uh, we're very proud to have her. She's been here. Uh, she's been part of CAB almost since day one. So um, anyway, uh, Brian, what I want to say to you, uh, Sir, I really, really appreciate you coming and sharing your perspectives. Um, I really thought it was interesting. Uh, some of the things that you said, like you said, I haven't heard you say before. And uh, I think I think if you know we all work together, we're going to get somewhere. It's going to happen more slowly just because, um, as I've said, Bigfoot, it, um, our topic, and I consider Bigfoot my topic as well as UAPs, it doesn't have a Lou Elizondo. It doesn't have a David Grush. It doesn't have a David Fravor or these folks from the Nimitz that, uh, and so that it was in the New York Times. The getting it and Christopher Mellon, who was an undersecretary of defense for intelligence. I mean, when you have, you know, Jim Semivan was in the CIA. When you have that level of persons advocating for a topic, that's the only reason that it's further along than, than Bigfoot. Maybe to Bigfoot's benefit. But if those type of people come along and decide that they want this topic to get in front of Congress, that will change the disclosure uh, aspect of Bigfoot. And, and like we've said, that may not be to its betterment, but that, that would make it happen. If somebody took the ball and ran with it and it needs to be high-level government people like those folks uh, that we just spoke of. Um, but I really appreciate uh, what you've said, and uh, I'm a fan of your show, and uh, I look forward to having you back on. If you want to uh, come on here and co-host with us, when we who were we talking about that we wanted to get you on for? Which which one was that? Uh, to guess. Yeah, it was the cop that you were talking about that's working oh, on the training. Keith Taylor, right? Yeah, yeah. we yeah I I got to get you I got to get you in on that episode. So um, so yeah, we'll I, I'll coordinate with you for. Uh, Dr. Taylor. And um, once again, the host of Sasquatch Odyssey. Great show. And uh, you will see uh, his stuff in the show notes. Thank you very much. So on behalf of uh, Brian and Deb and Matt, this is DJ saying peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>